Uh, before we get into this morning's message, I'd like to bring our attention to a couple of things. First, Trenton, thanks for being here this morning. Trenton just graduated from college. It's a huge deal, so let's give a round of applause to Trenton on his accomplishment. Uh, right before service, uh, Trenton, uh, he's still looking for a job. I'm sure his parents are still looking for him to get a job, so we can pray for that too. Um, but I, I do want to bring us up to speed on Miss Odeline Watson. I got an uh, update on her this morning. Uh, she was doing great yesterday, and then uh, this morning about 4.30 in the morning, uh, the doctors came in, and she her blood pressure is not rising the way it needs to. They tried to take her off the uh, pacemaker, uh, and once they did that, her heart stopped beating, so they put her back on there. And so um, she, this next, between now and Wednesday, they're going to keep her in ICU uh, and see if they need to put a pacemaker in. So uh, we need to continue to pray for her and for God's healing on her. Let me pray for her and for our service, and we'll get started this morning. God, you are a good God. You're a kind God. You're a gracious God. You're a loving God. Uh, you're a patient God. And we come and implore you. Um, on behalf of Miss Odeline, uh, to be the God of healing. And so I, I pray for that. I pray even now as she sits in her hospital room that, God, you would begin to heal her body supernaturally. And if, God, your will is not to do it that way, that you would use the doctors uh, to find out exactly what's going on in her body. Here's the great thing, God. You are the creator of her body, so you know exactly uh, what she needs. And so I pray that uh, either you do that um, miraculously or through the doctors. I pray for her family, God, that in this time that you give them peace that would surpass all understanding, that this time with her has got to be very nerve-wracking and scary. And so we plead on behalf of them that your Holy Spirit would enter into their lives and into that hospital room and bring a peace to them, to let them know that you're sovereign in control of all things, that you uh, none of this has caught you by surprise. That you're not in heaven scrambling in this moment. That you have a plan and a purpose for her life and for their lives. You tell so clearly that in your word. God, we come and we ask that you would be uh, present in our midst this morning as we come to your holy word. And that you would open the eyes of our hearts that we may see the hope to what you've called us to. For those that are believers this morning, God, I pray that you'd continue to awaken us up to that hope. And for those who may not have trusted you yet, God, that you through your spirit would awaken them to the hope that lies within who we will talk about, uh, your son, Jesus Christ, the hope of the world. I pray this in your mighty son's name. Amen. We will be in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. As you know, we're in our Advent season of Christmas. The word Advent means the arrival of or the anticipation of of the arrival of and we're waiting for our king and so in this season we want to be reminded that there is a king that has already come king jesus and for us as believers we're no longer waiting for that but we're waiting for his ultimate return it could be this afternoon it could be a hundred years but we we are highly anticipating his return to us and for us during this series of advent we've been looking at Jesus and how he came as the incarnation to fulfill the three roles of the Old Testament, uh, the prophet, the priest and the king. Remember last week we talked about the prophet, King Jesus, the incarnated God, pulled on skin and became the greatest prophet. 
We see that in John chapter 1, that the prophet was the word of God and he spoke the truths of God, not just because they were God's truth, but because they were his truth. And remember, we looked at him being a greater prophet than Moses. And this morning, I want to look at Jesus, the incarnated priest. I think for all of us, we all desire and long for uh, peace, do we not? Like all of us are searching for peace, whether it's in our jobs, whether it's in our homes, whether it's internally, we all desire peace. I think that's been true for all of us throughout history. You know, if you look at the Bible, the first two pages of the Bible is ultimate peace. That's before the fall. Genesis 1 and 2, there's peace on the earth. There's right relationship and communion with God and His people, Adam and Eve. And then the fall happens. And for the rest of the Bible, all the way to the very last page, there's this thing called conflict, chaos. Throughout the Bible, it's all about chaos. And you and I are in the midst of that. We have not had, we'll see next week, that there is a King, Jesus, that comes that will bring us ultimate hope from peace and love and joy, the fulfillment of all of them. I wonder for us this morning, where are you looking for your peace? Is it in your job? Is it in your wallet? Is it in your retirement? Because here's the promise. If we look for peace in any of those things, they will always fall short. There's not enough money on the planet to bring us peace. I know you may be sitting there thinking, man, if I just had a couple extra, I promise not. If I just, if I just, if I just. But today we're going to look at Where peace truly comes from, it comes from Jesus. The main point of this sermon is this. Because Jesus is our high priest, we are now able to have an ongoing peace with God. You see, our peace within ourselves is our conflict because of our unrighteousness to a holy God. And so there's always this angst in our hearts. Because we have ongoing sin in our lives and sin brings conflict. Whether within or without, there's always conflict when it comes to sin. This is what the writer in 1 John says. This is our promise this morning. Little children, I'm writing to you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, in other words, when you sin, catch this next line. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, our righteousness. He is the propitiation for our sins and not only our sins, but also the sins of the world. You see, that word advocate has the idea of being a priest. You see, the Old Testament is full of priests. If you know anything about the Old Testament, it was this, that God's people had sinned against God and they had ongoing sin with God. And so God established the role of the priest. That would have been Moses and his brother, for sure, Aaron, to come before God, to offer sacrifices to God, to bring peace back to God's people. One writer says this about what it means to be a priest. The priest is one who is qualified and authorized on behalf of the people to be represented before God. You see, the priest was the only one that could go into the Holy of Holies. When God said, build me a temple, build me my house, he said, here's the house, and inside the house, there's this place called the Holy of Holies, and that's where I'm going to dwell. 
And that's where God dwelled once the tabernacle got established within the Holy of Holies. That's why in the New Testament it says that there was the curtain and the curtain was torn in two when Christ ultimately died for our sins because he was separating uh, the, the world from God. And so priests would go into the Holy of Holies and they'd go in on behalf of the people to offer sacrifices so that the people of God could come back into relationship with God. So what did the sin, what did the priests do? They, the priests did many things. They did this. They first made it aware that people had sinned against God. They had to acknowledge that sin before God. And they would go and take their offering before God to appease the wrath of God. So that the, the wrath of God would be poured out on the sacrifice rather than the one who committed the sin. And ultimately, they were the intercessors for man. Priests would be the ones that would pray for the people of God. And yet in Hebrews chapter 4, it says this. I'll get to 10. Since then, therefore, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. You see what the writer of Hebrews is doing, what he's going to do here in this passage is that, hey, we no longer need earthly priests because we have a high priest. And so I want to look at what he's done as our high priest. We first must do this. I love how the Bible does this. So often before it gives the positive, it gives the negative. And so the first point in this morning's message is this, the limitations of human sacrifices. He says that in verse 1 of this passage. He says this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the things to come, instead of the true forms of the, these realities, it can never be by the same sacrifices that are continually offered each year. Make perfect those who draw near. So the first thing we see is the limitations of the sacrifice. He calls them, the writer calls them, a shadow of the true reality. You see, uh, if you think about a shadow, if you saw a shadow of a bridge, you would not put your hope in the shadow. You'd put your hope in the bridge and the light that gives to the shadow. Or if you saw a shadow of an apple, you wouldn't try to go pick up the shadow of the apple to eat it because in the shadow there's no nourishment. And so the writer is saying to us, hey, the former way is just a shadow. Which if you know anything about a shadow, it's got to come from something, from the object. See, without the object, there is no shadow. And so the writer is saying this, it is a shadow. The word literally means this. It, it means as if an artist is doing a rough sketch or something. If you ever seen an artist work, they never go to the canvas and just do this amazing painting. They have these sketches along the way that prepare them for the final piece of art. And so what the writer is saying is this, that the, the old way of doing things is a shadow. It's pointing us to something greater. You see, the, the writer here in Hebrews, he's wanting to say to us, the old covenant 
is not the fulfillment. You see, the old covenant, that's what, where we get the word testimony from. The old testimony, the old, the, the, the old testament is a shadow of the new testament. Everything in the old testament is ultimately pointing to the new testament. There's some people these days, uh, preachers that want to do away with the old testament. Which, if we get away with the Old Testament, then there's no foundation for the New Testament, is there? So we have to hold on to the Old Testament. What is the Old Testament trying to say to us? If it's a shadow of what's to come, what is it saying to us? The Old Testament is given to us by God to show us that we are in contrast with a holy God but that God still wants relationship with unholy people. And so he came up with a sacrificial system for the unholy people to be able to have uh, communion with a holy God. But you see, there's some limitations in the Old Testament. You see, what God was looking for wasn't the dead animal on an altar in the Old Testament. He was looking for obedience from God's people. I want to look at three limitations from the old covenantal system, the old sacrificial system. The first one is this. It says this. They could not have access to God. Could you imagine that? Only one sect of people, the priest, could have access to God. That's where the Catholic Church continues to be. Right, and so the, the limitation of the old system is that this, you and I today could not have access to God. That's the first one. The second one is this. Not only could we not have access to God, but the old sacrificial system is not what was required and could not obtain full forgiveness of sin. You see, again, it's a shadow of what's to come. And so even God could, was not using the old sacrificial system to remove sin. He was only doing it to display to them their sin. Remember what was credited to them as righteousness or faith was not the sacrifice. It was the duty of doing the sacrifice. The sacrifice did nothing for them. It was their obedience and faithfulness to the sacrificial system that it did it all. Therefore, as it says in the text, they had to all the time go before a priest to offer sacrifices. That's why year after year, that's why even today, the Day of Atonement, the Day of Atonement is that the people of Israel still go to priests to offer sacrifices to atone for their sin. They have to keep doing it over and over and over and over and over again. It does not have ultimate forgiveness. Which leads to the last one. The limitation is this. The sacrificial system was only external. Remember what he said to Cain. Cain gave an offering. Cain gave a sacrifice. But he did it out of duty. And he said, the duty doesn't matter. 
You see, sacrifices that we offer to God will always be external. But see, that sacrificial system was a shadow of what was to come. See, the sacrificial system said there has to be blood poured out on behalf of sin. The blood is what will satisfy the wrath of God. It says this, um, some of the writers say this, on the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament, that nearly 300,000 sheep were slaughtered for the sins of the people. And the temple would run blood out of the Holy of Holies. Because they knew that blood was the thing that God required. See, it's the shadow of what's to come. And so we see over and over and over again in the Old Testament God's displeasure with human sacrifice. So the question we must ask this morning, then what is God's pleasure? What is the thing that will satisfy God? If it's not the old sacrifices, then what is it? Here's just a few verses that show us that God is not happy with the old sacrificial system. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11, says this, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of your burnt offerings, of your rams and your fat, of your beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goat. Jeremiah 7 says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat the flesh. For in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this I command I gave to them, obey my voice. Again, he says this in Amos, I hate and despise your feast. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. See, that verse in Amos for us as a church ought to shudder in our boots. He's not happy just assembling together. It says this in Micah chapter 6, verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with a burnt offering with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sins of my soul? But yet the Lord says this, as He told you, O oh man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love kindly and walk humbly with the Lord? And so then what does the Lord take pleasure in if it's not all those human sacrifices? Let's look at the text. In verse... He says this in verse 4. He says, It's impossible for the blood of the bulls and the goats to take away the sins. So God has no pleasure in that. So what does God have pleasure in verses 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9? He comes out of Psalms chapter 40. In this text, uh, the writer of Hebrews quotes Psalm 40. Consequently, then Christ came into the world. He said, he's saying, the writer said, this is what Christ said in Psalm chapter 40. Christ said this about Himself. Sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for Me. 
and burnt offerings and sin offerings, you take no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written in the scroll of the book. Verse eight, when he said above, Jesus said above, you desire, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices or offerings or burnt offerings or sin offerings. These offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will. This was to take this was away with the first in order to establish the second. Jesus is saying, I'm coming to do away with the first covenant to establish the second covenant or the new covenant. And so what does God take pleasure in? We find it in verse five. God's desire, God's pleasure is this a body that you have prepared for me. That is what God desires is that God would desire a body to ultimately be satisfied for all the sacrifices. That is what the cross shows us. So we see that Christ is the ultimate priest because He no longer was going to present uh, uh, animals on the altar, but He was going to present Himself on the altar. He understood what the will of God was. What was the will of God? We see that in Isaiah chapter 53. 52 and 53 of Isaiah. If you want to Read about your King Jesus. Read that. And if you don't come away with your heart broken or weeping, something is off in your heart. This is what the, uh, the, the writer, the prophet Isaiah says about Jesus. He said, I've come to do your will. That's what Jesus is saying to the Father in this passage and throughout the, the Bible, throughout the New Testament, we see over and over, Jesus said, I've come to do the Father's will. So we must ask the question, what is the will of the Father? Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10 answers this. And yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He says, I, I've come. In verse 9. In verse 9 it says, Behold, I've come to do your will. And what's the will of the Father? It goes back to verse 5. It's to crush a body. You see, that's what the old system had displayed to us, was to take these animals and sacrifice them and crush their bodies so that their blood would be poured out on the mercy seat, for that we would receive mercy and justice and forgiveness so that the wrath of God would not crush us, but the wrath of God would crush the animal. And now Jesus is saying, I've come to do away with that old system. And the new system is do the will of the Father. The will of the Father is that I've brought my body that you've prepared for me. And what did He prepare the body to do? To be crushed. Do, do we, can we comprehend that? That when Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God were in heaven and God said to Jesus, I've prepared your body to be crushed, Jesus willingly and joyfully accepted that responsibility. And even Mary knew that when she held young Jesus in her hands. She says it in her song back to God in Luke. I know that this is the Savior of the world. I know what your will is for Him. It's to crush Him. She knew Isaiah chapter 53. Mary knew this text. 
And Mary knew that she was holding the Messiah in her hands. And so she, when she was holding him and looking at him, knew, wait, the will of God is to crush my son. You see, that's the great priest that we have. You see what the great priest does for us. It goes back to satisfy those three things. Because of Christ Jesus being crushed for us, we now have total access to God. Because His blood was poured out on the altar before God to absorb the wrath of God, you and I don't need anyone else on our behalf to go to a holy God. I I must not be saying it right. We, the people of God, have direct access to God all day, every day. I don't have to wait a year to offer a sacrifice. I don't have to take a sacrifice to a priest and let him do it for me. I today have direct access with God, the Father, because of a crushed son. Not only that, because of a crushed priest, all of my sins have been removed. Forever and ever and ever and ever. Because of that, I am no longer in fear of the wrath of God. Because of a crushed son and his blood that has covered me, all of my sins have been removed. Even the ones I haven't committed yet. Do do we realize that? Like when you sin tomorrow, not if, when you sin tomorrow, that sin has already been atoned for because of what Christ did for us being the great high priest. And now lastly, in verse 10, our sacrifice, the great sacrifice, King Jesus, He, they are no longer external. Because of His crushed body, something has happened eternally and internally in me. So we see the pleasure of the Son's obedience. The pleasure of the Son was to do the will of God. The will of God was to crush His Son so that you and I could have eternal pleasure with God. But it doesn't stop there. It goes one step further in verse 10. And by that will, the will to crush the Son, it says, we have been sanctified. Highlight the word words have been. That's not you are being sanctified. You have been sanctified. It's complete. It's over. It's finished, as he said on the cross. Now, there is an ongoing sanctification that must occur in all of us when we lay our lives and offer our lives, as it tells us in Romans 12, a a living and holy sacrifice. But we've been sanctified. Like, I, I don't have to go today. If I miss out on confession today, I'm just as sanctified as I was yesterday when I made confession. 
Therefore, I can go to the Holy of Holies and enter into God's presence, not because of anything I've done, but because it says you have been sanctified by whose will? His will. There's nothing I can do to sanctify myself. I have been sanctified. That is an action that has been happened to me, not that I've done to myself. But you have been sanctified. Through what? Through whose offering? Not through my offering. You see that? He's now saying, hey, all of your sanctification, all of your righteousness, all of your holiness, it's no offering that you've ever presented before a holy God. It was an offering that who presented? Jesus. The body of Jesus Christ. What does it say? Once and for all. It only has to happen once and it happens for everyone. You see, because of the great high priest, I have lasting sanctification because of the son's obedience. That means I don't have to worry and I don't have to scheme and I don't have to plot and I don't have to figure out, man, how do I stay sanctified? What do I have to do? That's where he goes back to, hey, all those things you do, I take no pleasure in them. Like if you come here and all you do is come here to check it off a list, God is saying, I have no pleasure in that. If all you're doing is putting a tithe and offering a plate because you're supposed to do that, he's saying, I got no pleasure in that. If that's what you come to do, put money in the offering plate or come to church to check it off the list, man, pity on you. What God is requiring is one thing. It's obedience. It's all He requires. The same that He required in the Old Testament is the same He requires now. Obedience. To who and what? God's Word. You've been sanctified. Now we must go on being sanctified. Becoming more and more and more and more like Christ. I'd offer you this this morning. That because of the crushed son, our great high priest, we now have a mediator. As it says in 1 John chapter 2. That when we do sin, he mediates on our behalf. He gets to the Father before we have, even have time to get to him ourselves. God isn't waiting up there. I can't wait for them to confess. Jesus is running into the courtroom on our behalf when we sin and saying, no, 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 no. Remember, 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 I've been crushed for their iniquities. My soul's been poured out for them. Don't forget that, God. And God says, I remember that. You see, man's great need is to have peace with God. Not peace with your pocketbook. Not peace with your wife. Not peace at your job. Our great need is to have peace with God. Because without God's peace in our lives, through the finished work of the great high priest, Jesus Christ, the wrath of God will be poured out on you. That's something as a pastor I don't like to say. But that's the truth of God. Without His peace from His Son, The wrath of God is waiting 
on you. If we come today and we confess that Jesus Christ is the ultimate high priest that lay His life on the altar on our behalf and His blood covered the mercy seat, then we obtain mercy when we simply trust and obey that. And so I ask you this morning, do you need peace this morning? Do you need peace in your house? with your spouse, it can't come from Dr. Phil. It it just can't. It can't come from some of the greatest therapists, which I'm not saying I'm one of the greatest therapists, but I am a therapist. I, I cannot bring you peace. If you want peace in your pocketbook, Dave Ramsey's awesome, but he ain't that awesome. And on and on and on I can go. If you want peace and you look externally for any of those things to bring you peace, I promise as the day is long, you'll never find peace. There's only one place that we find peace. It's in our high priest. And so I ask this question. Do you believe that Christ has secured your peace this morning? You see, as we come and we celebrate Christmas and we celebrate Advent, we are reminded of what it says in Isaiah chapter 9. Turn with me there this morning. Verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government shall be on his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and last but not least, the Prince of Peace. You see, our great high priest brings us eternal peace with God and ourselves. I pray that we would take delight in that. And I would beg you this morning, if you do not have peace this morning, and where you are going eternally, settle that today. Respond to the Holy Spirit. If He's drawing you to have peace with God, know this. It's not you walking down this aisle and praying a prayer with me. It is only the finished work with Christ Jesus has done for us on the cross and Him drawing you to Himself. And then you saying, yes, God, I believe that. And then you turn from here and you live a different life. It's called obedience. That's what is our sanctification. But sanctification only happens through obedience. And our obedience can only happen as we follow and trust His Word. So I beg the question, do you need peace this morning? And if you have peace this morning, take great delight in the Prince of Peace. Let us pray.